I feel that we are embodied here, but I feel the real world is the realm of spirit. We're just barely scratching the surface with self-knowing. 99% of us is still anchored in spirit. And when you are back in spirit, your perception broadens impossibly. And to me, that's the real world. That's God's turf. This is more like an educational stage play that we are very blessed to be a part of. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado, and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound, and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of sacred journeys, spirit encounters, near-death experiences, angels, mysteries, marvels, and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary people reveal their extraordinary encounters. I acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of Sutherland Shire in Australia, where I live and record Spirit Sisters, and I recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and community. I pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. I'm delighted to have your company. Let's get straight into it. Today, we have near-death experiencer Susan Dyer joining us for part two of our conversation. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I encourage you to scroll down to the episode below and tune into that one first so that you have the full context for today's episode. In this one, we pick up where we left off as Susan shares all about the physical healing following her 2017 NDE that confounded her medical specialists. Yet, this was no fairy tale happy ending for Susan. She found herself on an emotional roller coaster that saw her lose friends and once again fall seriously ill. This conversation is a deep dive. As she did in part one, Susan generously shares very openly, offering wisdom gleaned from her experiences about the nature of reality, her understanding of God as ultimate liberation, and her ideas about empowerment, what true empowerment is to her. She also shares simple practices to help identify your purpose and connect with your spirit guides. As Susan says, if you were to swing your arm, you would knock down several celestial beings. We are surrounded by help at all times. What a wonderful idea. Enjoy part two of my conversation with Susan Dyer. Hello, Susan. Welcome to Spirit Sisters. Welcome back. Hi, Karina. I'm happy to be back. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you back and we've got a lot to to continue with. So, yeah. Susan, when we finished our last episode, we were talking about your near-death experience. You were about to tell us about everything that transpired afterwards. So, let's begin with the physical healing. How did you begin to recover physically from the Lyme disease how did the NDE affect your physical recovery? Sure. That was one of, I think, the most striking attributes to most other people. Um, it sounded so fantastical that it was hard to believe, but this is the one area 
in which facts are facts. And so, for example, to wake up and no longer be paralyzed at all is just a fact. Mm. You know, I, I crawled up the stairs with a paralyzed right hand and right foot, and I woke up completely unparalyzed. And the second, the second item that kind of blew everybody away was my blood. I had been diagnosed with hemochromatosis, which means your blood is full of iron. And it was so bad, they were about to begin chelating my blood, which is basically just removing as much of your blood as possible and whatever the word is, transitioning other people's blood in instead. It's a, it's, it's a very serious process and it's only done for severe cases. And the next time I went in for my lab work with my hematologist, he just didn't know what to say. And he said, what happened here? And I said, do you really want to know? <laughs> I literally said that. I was like, do you really want to know? Because I can tell you. And he was like, yes, I really want to know. So I told him, you know, and he did not know what to say, but he just couldn't argue with the data. Those two things, I think, are really helpful tools for me because they're evidentiary. The other thing was my level of pain dropped from a 10, you know, to let's call it like a three. So that also was an impossibility before that experience. My pain was out of control and it was nerve pain, which really can be some of the most, the most painful pain, if you will. So yeah, those are, those are the improvements that happened after the problem or the, the, the crisis of faith I experienced at one of many was that after some time, my health plummeted again. And I, I got to tell you, I had never been angrier with God uh, than, than when that happened. It felt like, like a serial killer's prank or something. But yes, that's what that's what happened directly after my NDE. Okay, and we will come to speak of the decline in sure. your health again. That happened, I think, two years later, wasn't it, Susan? In right, two thousand and nineteen. Right. Yep. Okay, but for the moment, let's um, continue with your story about Im the immediate after effects. So we've heard from you about the physical healing, which is astonishing. What about your emotional no. and spiritual healing, if, totally. if that's an appropriate? term. Uh, tell yes, us about how the, I, those kinds of transformations post-NDE. So uh, have you heard of a walk-in experience? I have, but maybe just uh, describe it briefly for our listeners who don't know what a walk-in is. Okay, so a walk-in experience is when an additional portion of your own higher self integrates into your incarnated body. And this happens often following trauma or when you're at any major crossroads or you're, let's say you're undertaking a new big important project. Um, those are some examples of when you may experience a walk-in. And I know that I had a walk-in experience during my NDE and I actually believe it was Athena 
because before the NDE, I would say 49% of me wanted to be here. And after the NDE, that completely tipped to the opposite side. And my spirit felt emboldened and ready for anything, ready to strategize, ready to go, ready to handle things strangely adeptly. I already knew Athena was a part of my higher self, but I think I was able to receive a greater portion of her during this experience. And I needed it because of the promise I had made to God, which was I promised to return and live transparently. And I just had no idea what that was going to mean. But I also knew it would have to involve conversations that were very scary, especially with my parents. I, I really feared losing, for example, the relationship with my father. And so I, I just said, I kept saying to God, you've just got to show me the next step. You've just, just got to show me the next step. And, and he did. And like, so by the time I sat down to talk to my father about it, I had already attended a business school course, had done my research. I, I had good timing with it. And I explained it in such a way that coming from his point of view would feel most comfortable. But my, my entire personality received a jolt of spiritual warrior-like life force. I had just run out of steam. There was nothing left. And afterwards, it was a complete opposite. That's fascinating, Susan. So tell us a little bit more about Athena. So I only have a very basic understanding. Are we referring to the the Greek archetype, the goddess Athena? Yes. Okay. And That's so, right. Um, yes. And I know of your, your um, relationship with this idea, which is also something that interests me, of the divine feminine. So tell us just a little bit about Athena, where she sits within those divine feminine archetypes, and when you first began to feel that you had a connection yeah, with her. Sure. Okay. So the, the first thing I'd like to say, because I think, I think maybe this isn't known, uh, I, I haven't really heard it talked much about, but the beings, you know, cross-cultural deities like Krishna or Kuan Yin or Athena, uh, these are all real beings. They are angelic beings who exist in higher dimensions. And, you know, I believe that 99% of what you know as Susan Dyer anchors still in spirit and that my higher self includes dollops of many greater beings. And the first time I was introduced to Athena, I've only been afraid in my adult life, afraid in the moment of what I was clairvoyantly seeing. I, that's only happened in my adult life twice. And one of the times that it happened uh, it was in my mind's eye and I saw, and ironically, it, it was so tiny, but I saw a very tiny face of a gray alien, the ones with the big globu global eyes and the enlarged heads. And I've, 
I've had experiences with this race of beings before uh, that have not, that have been completely neutral that, you know, like any race, there's a spectrum of development, but this particular being that I saw in my third eye almost made my heart stop. It was that clear that, you know, it just, it was that clear that this was not a vibration I wanted anything to do with. And before I had time to react at all in its place, suddenly I saw a woman in a very particular Spartan type kind of helmet. It's like she, she I knew immediately that warrior had, had handled the situation. And then I saw Gustav Klimt, who is a famous painter. He painted The Kiss. I came across a painting he did of Athena. And that was the exact image the exact face I saw take the place of that being that I wanted nothing to do with. So in terms of the divine feminine, again, if you think of the, the wide spectrum of cross-cultural deities, I mean, I was shown that my celestial home was symbolically a prism where from the, the white light of creation, all the rays of color branch out. And that's how it was symbolically explained to me, the divine feminine, that the core of that divine feminine is like a prism. Or if, if you go online and you research reputable places, other places compare the core of the, the divine feminine to a white flame. But the way that they showed me was a prism and the rainbow, every color of the spectrum possible emanating from there. And certain beings are aligned with the frequencies and qualities and characteristics of certain rays or colors. And Athena is the Chohan or the, the master of the 12th ray, which is golden color and her energy is golden color and she's since healed me with it. At one point I was submerged in a, a tubular aquarium and, and, and gold energy like water filled up to the top. And she's also trained me with it. Uh, she's taught me how to use this extremely powerful golden energy to burn away anything that's not serving me. That's so powerful, Susan, and it's a reminder, I think, of the support and the help that's available to us in the unseen realms, which for most of the time and for most of us really goes unheeded. Yes, and that I would love to just reiterate what you said. I, you know, the one, one time I was trying to explain, I was teaching a class and I said, if any of you would, were to swing your arm you would knock down several celestial beings. <laughs> you are surrounded by help at all time, no matter what, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, no matter what. And then my Maya Angelou came through, who I had, I had a fangirl reaction of total shock and awe as a writer. And she actually tweaked what I had just said. 
after I got over myself and calmed down, she said, I'd like to say, turn your head and by your nose alone, you'd knock several over. That's how thoroughly each and every one of you are guided. And I found that to be extremely powerful to hear that from her. Who was and that? Who, who said that to you? Amaya Angelou, oh. who is a, a deceased poet. Yes. Um, to me, she's more than a poet, but that's what she's you know known for. Yes. She, she was incredibly wise and incredibly, incredibly spiritual. Oh, yes. She is somebody who I, if I'm ever feeling I'm having a low day, so to, so to speak, I'll listen uh-huh. to a podcast uh-huh. with her from the past and her voice alone, the richness of it, let alone yes. what, what she says, which is pure poetry at all times. There's just so right. much heart and warmth and authenticity in her words. And soothing. Isn't she soothing. so soothing? Yeah, it's, it is a transmission just to listen to her. And yes. I think I've pondered this and I think it's almost got to do with her being so anchored in herself and her her higher self, her, yes, and her her link to divinity by means of that anchoring within her divinity. Yeah, it lifts others just to hear it. I, I feel that yes. way anyway. So I'm, I feel the same way. I'm thrilled. Yeah. I'm thrilled that she's somebody present for you, and I've heard that before as well. That she is present, can be present for others, as are. So many of these higher beings. Anyone but, can be. But I love you how she tweaked. Me. I love how she tweaked what you but said. I know. <laughs> and first she had to be like, Susan, calm down. Are you done yet? She First she had to shut me up because I was just stammering. Couldn't even say anything. And you know me, I can talk forever. <laughs> so that was, that was an odd moment. I just was in so much shock because as a writer, and she said, us writers have to stick together. And I was like, I can't believe you, my Angela just said that to me. Like it was like a you know a fantasy dream come true. So it was it was a that was a good moment all around. But what I also want to mention is you can connect not only with anyone who's deceased, you can also connect with anything like the tree collective or the sparrow collective. And you can also connect if granted permission with the higher self of anyone who is living. So for example, for you parents out there, I often connect with the higher self of my children for guidance. Or let's say you and your friend are not getting along. You can ask to connect to their higher self Mm. or wisdom and advice. They don't have to be deceased because the bulk of us is in spirit anyways. You can connect to anybody, living or dead. And do you think the means to do that lies in our fundamental interconnectedness? Is this why they're accessible? Because on a fundamental level, we are all connected. Yes. We we are all one. We are the all. There's, There's only one cosmic Plato. Everything is God. The connection is the only truth. I think what the variable is 
our people's open-mindedness. Okay. And the other thing that's coming to me as we, we speak today, Susan, is what brought you to this point of connecting with these beings and finding the the strength through the help of beautiful warrior spiritual leaders such as Maya Angelou and Athena, what brought you to all of this was a deep surrendering. You just laid it all down. You laid down your life in that moment that you were crawling up the steps. And it's not the first time I've heard of the NDE per se resulting from a deep surrendering. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, I had surrendered crawling up the stairs. I had surrendered without guilt to dying because I knew I, I really had tried everything for so many years. But when my guides gave me that idea, it pierced my resignation. And I was not going to die for my children's sake without trying everything possible. But in terms of living with surrender, it's still just as important an inclusion of my life today as it was the night on the stairs. There are plenty of times when I'm guided to do something I don't want to do, and I feel like a tantruming child, but I do it anyway. Can you give us an uh, example trust- of, of a time? Oh, sure. Um, when I had just started writing my book, long story short, I entered into months of writing block and I've wanted to be a published author since thir- since I'm sorry, first grade. And I, I became afraid of writing. The block was so bad and lasted so long. And my guides started bellowing at me about attending a local open mic to read a portion of what I had written already about my NDE. And I was like, no way, are you crazy? Like, I don't wanna be made fun of. It's, it's already, you know, a, a, a very difficult story to believe for most people. You know, the idea of spiritual public scrutiny seemed unbearable. And then to make things worse, I couldn't find a soul to go with me. So it was either I was going to follow their very demonstrative instructions and go alone and read the most naked part about me to a room full of strangers with no one as a wingman, or I was going to just be like, no, I'm not doing it. And they would not stop. They would not stop. And it was, I, I, I relented and I went. And what came of that was getting published. They always know better. I went there and there was a literary rep for a literary magazine and their next issue had a theme of rebirth. I was like, you've gotta be kidding me, oh my God. And so I submitted this, I submitted the prologue of my book to them for publishing and was accepted. That was such a beautiful moment when I heard that. Actually, I'm going to send you the the photo. I took a selfie of myself at that time because I hadn't experienced that level of joy 
ever. Oh, beautiful. And I know when I get emotional, the camera often catches energy that you can't see usually. And I'm going to email you this photo when we get off because it looks like there are two white lightsabers coming out of my head. And that is spiritual energy, the energy of my bliss and the energy of love and applause from my guides. And it's right there, unedited. It, it, it's unbelievable, actually. Well, please do send it. And are you happy I for me to will. share with the listeners the photo? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you can tell it's unfiltered. I look like crap. So <laughs> there will be no doubt. I mean, seriously, my nose is red got like coffee on my teeth. I, I look horrendous. But the, the photo is one of the most beautiful things to me. You know, it's like, that's how strong my bliss was during that moment, that it illuminated that brightly. Well, that I look forward to seeing that. And that's a beautiful story. And I'd just like to vouch for your writing, Susan. It is what first drew me to your story, which is very unusual because usually it's something that I've perhaps listened to or it's word of mouth. But I saw a snippet of your writing on an Instagram page, and I think it was the Enderf, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation do you remember? Was yeah. it that one? Yeah, on Instagram. And I thought I've never read such a beautifully expressed account of the near-death experience. It was so nuanced. And that's, and you, it was anonymous. So I reached out to them and they put me in touch with you. And that's how we um, connected initially. So I can yeah. tell you that I'm so excited to read your book when it comes out. I really think it's going to be something special in the NDE literature. Thank you. Seriously, you have no idea. That means so much to me. Thank you very much. That's all right. Now, so at what point in the chronology of your post-NDE rebirth did this happen? So your NDE was 2017 and then you read this right. out at the at the open mic night. Was it the same year or? Oh, no, it was, I think, it was 2019. Okay. So because you were, as you said, you'd made this promise to live transparently. You said, if I, along these lines, right. Susan, that if you come back, God, you're going to live transparently. So that yeah. looked like a whole bunch of different scary things. One of them was what you've just shared there, that story. In what other ways were you called to live transparently? And I know that you've described it as there was some scary work involved. You started a YouTube channel. You began to mentor right. women. Tell us about how how your your life began to change and evolve post-NDE. It was a mixed bag, really. I did walk through it with my parents, and I still have relationships with them both. I know it still makes my dad uncomfortable, but, but he has come to accept it, uh, which is beautiful. Except so your grateful. NDE? Um, except all of me. You know, there have been several occasions where he's actually asked me, well, what does my dad say? Or what do you see in my aura? You know, and that's meant the world to me. But being so sick for so long and my spirituality becoming, I mean, I didn't think this was possible, but becoming even more the core of my life, it ended 
it ended up, I mean, I was housebound for many years. I was so ill. That was published in 2019, but shortly thereafter, I, I got very sick. And between the absence, my absence with friends and my burgeoning spirituality and what I was doing, I God showed me the way with each next step. But I, I lost nearly all my friends, which felt like another divorce. And that took, I would say, a solid year before emotionally I balanced out about that. And why do you think you lost your friends? What Was it too confronting for them, this burgeoning spirituality of yours and the priority it took in your life? I believe that in, in one case in particular, it was as she told me, and it reminded me of my dad. She told me directly that it all scared her and that I was too close to death all of the time. And death is her number one fear. That was true. I, I was, I, th- there were several years I didn't leave my house, you know, after my near-death experience. It was very hard to accept, but I do know that I did everything I could to salvage the relationships or be honest or be accommodating. You know, I, I don't have any guilt over any of it, but that is a part of the, the extensive transformation that's happened. And so that actually makes a conversation like this a thousand times more meaningful. And there's such a level of authenticity is the word that keeps coming to mind for me because you you do lay everything out so barely and even your friend in that moment did the same I think and that's a very raw thing to say very true it doesn't ameliorate the pain for you I'm sure like what a grief as you say to lose a dear friend and you by the sounds of it you lost more than one very very difficult but what about the decline in your health again like it's just I'm trying to sort of imagine what that must have been like for you because here you are you've you've been you've had this incredible physical healing which has stunned your medical team you are beginning to enjoy these moments such as at the open mic night but at the same time you're also experiencing you know these friends that are leaving and now your health again in 2019 what happened I started, like if I was standing next to a counter, my brain started shutting off and I would just collapse. And most of the time when I would fall, I, I would hit my face on a, the countertop or the, the edge of a table or just the, the floor. And the pain came back just as excruciating as 2017, but with this new mysterious symptom. I mean, my, my child woke me up one afternoon and I, I was laying on the kitchen floor in front of the open freezer, like somebody had shot me. And it got to the point where I knew I was not safe to be with the children because I'd be driving and just sweating and praying, you know, please don't happen right now. And my parents had to come up and take care of my children. And 
I was put together with a neurologist who saved my life. You know, no one knew what was going on. It looked like I had been pummeled. And the school, I, I remember the school calling my former husband, you know, we don't feel safe leave, letting the kids leave with Susan. What's going on? Of course, you know, which I, I found such a violation to be such a violation. You know, I should have received that phone call first. And I'd never even thought about putting makeup on because I wasn't doing anything wrong or there, there wasn't, I wasn't hiding anything. So, and I had no energy. Um, I was so fatigued. I mean, I would sleep through repeated phone calls and repeated alarms. So I, I definitely wasn't hiding the fact that it, my face was pummeled, you know, black and blue all over, but he figured out what it was. And it's an autoimmune, it was an autoimmune condition very similar to MS. And it's, if you, it's basically the precursor to MS, but if caught early enough, it is arrested from turning into MS. And so I did about a year and a half of in-home IV therapy. Uh, but leading up to that point, I knew I was dying. And my parents did too. And I went into meditation one day, just furious and spoke directly with God and, and, and said, I don't want any Confucius answers, no fortune cooking, no fortune cookie, anything. Please straight up tell me how long do I have to endure this before a solution is found? Just give me a straight answer. And it was the first time in my life that, that I was given a plain answer. And there was more to the conversation I channeled, but it was 90 days and I marked it in my calendar. And I got worse and worse every day. And I, I really, I, I didn't know what to, to make of it. I was like, this is, I was not conscious for most of the day and night at this point. At one point, Judy Garland came in because my instructions had been to golden key the situation, which is a practice of Emmett Fox. And that is whenever a troublesome or worrisome thought arises, you immediately replace it with the thought of God. And I remember two weeks out, Judy Garland came in and was like, you need to be golden king, like your life depends on it and you're not. And I realized she was right, that I was entertaining fearful thoughts, you know, for X amount of minutes. And then I would, and then I would turn my thoughts to God. It was not immediate. And so for the next two weeks, I did it seamlessly and really nonstop and with four days to spare. There were four, four days left and everything, my, I got my first infusion and everything completely turned around. It was a slow process, but even by that first infusion, I 100% knew I was going to live. Did you have a second NDE in uh, February 2020, Susan, or an NDE-like experience? And what? Yes, where it does was, this? I would say yeah. it, 
Yeah, go on. An NDE like experience. And, okay. and that that was when I was I did that channeling with God. Okay. Because my parents and I had already discussed the fact that I was dying and I knew I had very little time. And that channeling with God to me was a near death like experience in which in which he told me that I was going to live. I would make it. This is a timeline and this is what you need to do. So that's that's what I referred to. Okay, got you now. And uh, what about, did this condition, this autoimmune disease that the neurologist diagnosed you with, what was what is it called, please, Susan? It's called COPD and... I don't even remember what that stands for. That's all right. That's um, it's but it's 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 just like MS that your nerve endings are stripped of their myelin sheaths, and so they cannot conduct electricity, and your brain needs electricity to function, and so that's why it kept shorting out on me. I see. And did it have anything to do with the Lyme disease, or did the Lyme disease predispose you to yes. this? It did. Okay. It was from over-medication of uh, antibiotics that caused this nerve damage. Were you given to understand in your meditation slash NDE-like experience why you had to endure this for 90 days, this deep suffering? Well, it, it's not God that needed the 90 days. It's me. I had my white knuckles wrapped around the situation via fear. And he gave me the image of cutting somebody out of a car using the jaws of life. And he said, that's what you're doing. By entertaining this level of fear, you are squeezing us out. So it was going to take that long for me to golden key aggressively enough to allow help in. The timing had more to do with my with my fallibility as Susan Dyer, not, not at all to do with God's power. God did not need 90 days to, to muster, you know, a resurrection. But mm-hmm. I did because my fear was gripping the steering wheel so tightly. As it is for so many of us in this in this earth life, uh, yeah. I just want to briefly backtrack for anybody who is wondering about Emmett Fox, who Susan mentioned. Susan, he was a uh, leading New Thought, I guess, speaker, author back in I want to say mm-hmm. like the nineteen thirties or maybe a bit later. And the golden key, if you just want to share a bit more about that, is one of his ideas uh, based on this notion that as humans, we are so entrenched in fear. If you could just tell us just a a smidgen more about the golden key, who Emmett Fox was, and also your, your insights into fear, because you touched on that at the end of our last discussion too, and everything that you came to understand about fear being a man-made thing. Yes. Well, Emmett Fox, just so everyone knows, if you Google Emmett Fox, E-M-M-E-T-T, and then Fox, like the animal, Golden Key. It is available for free online as a PDF. And it's a very short essay. But in sum, 
it just says, it's kind of like that game whack-a-mole. The moment you catch yourself entertaining any negativity, you immediately turn your thoughts to God. And he uses a metaphor of sitting next to a campfire where a spark lands on your sleeve. And if you flick it off immediately, it does no damage. But if you let it sit, it will burn down to the skin. And that's, that's right. the thinking there. And then while I was merged with God during the 2017 NDE, one of the convictions that I viscerally experienced was that fear was a man-made invention, if you will. I, I mean, I knew that viscerally as, as I came to understand many things viscerally during that exchange. And so when I came back, I was 40 or 41, I can't remember. But when I came to from that experience, one of the first things I felt I had to address was my terror of the dark because I knew fear was not true, yet I still lived as terrified of the dark as I did as a little girl. And so I believed that love, capital L love or God, is stronger than absolutely anything. And so I created an initiation for myself and I spent about two weeks meditating in the dark, facing a mirror. And I had many experiences during this time, but ultimately, and when I was ready, I, I did face my worst, my worst clairvoyant fear. And after doing that, after that experience and, and holding that being in love and stating we are the same and holding this being in love, I watched it dissolve away. And that just reinforced my conviction. There's nothing stronger in the multiverse than love, capital L love which could be another word for God. That's beautiful. Thank you. And it strikes me as a very powerful thing that you did. Very, very courageous to sit there in the dark. That was your deepest fear. And not just the dark, but the mirror. A mirror, looking in a mirror is, is a difficult thing for, for many of us. You know, Louise Hay had that meditation where she suggested that we, we pick up a mirror and say, look into our own eyes and it's a very yeah. hard thing to do. And you've already it shared is. with us so authentically how as a, a little girl you felt so unloved and unworthy. And so many of us relate to that too. So to know that you sat there and did this, very strong and powerful thing to imagine that you did that. Thank you. Well, just, just full disclosure, I did it in the bathroom because I knew at any second, I can swing open the bathroom door and be flooded with light. <laughs> I had an escape route. So, so I did have that. I, I, I did, I did do that purposely. It was like the only way mentally I could get myself, you know, muster the courage to do it at all. Another yeah. thing that I'd love to talk about, and you mentioned there, your that beautiful notion which I so that so aligns with what I feel as well that God is love with a capital L and I'd just like to talk about some other insights that you've shared with me over the the weeks the months that we've been 
corresponding, Susan, and, you know, these are insights that you've gleaned from your experiences. So one of them is the idea of God as freedom as well, as ultimate freedom. Could you share a little bit about that? Yes. I, when I think about being steeped in those blazing golden rays of God, I was like a tea bag, just completely submerged. And I felt, I viscerally felt what God is made of. And to me, if forced to use a word from the English language, the word he felt most like to me was freedom, not love. And that had always really struck me. I, I didn't quite understand why, but I knew what I felt. And that, that is, I, I felt God felt like freedom even more than he did love. And I realized it was actually connected to love, but it's, it's connected to love in that I was feeling the freedom of what 100% unconditional love feels like. And we don't have that on earth. All of our relationships, even where there is great love, they are relational. Let's say one of my children murdered somebody. I would still love them, but the nature of our relationship would change because self-centeredly, for example, I would be mortified of what people would think of me as a parent. But God, what God is made of is immovable. His energy, there are no shades of anything. It just is. It's like if you cut a tree in half, it's all tree. And what I felt as God energy, being in the presence of genuinely conditionless love felt like freedom. So I realized after some time, it really was connected to love, but I couldn't have ex explained it to you in that way f for years until, until years after the experience. Mm. And that's one thing we know from researching, well, I know from researching NDEs as well, is that it does take years to integrate these experiences and it's ongoing to some extent. I think everything is, mm. I think, I, I think, you know, it's like if it's an NDE or just your own personal practice, I feel like all of it is a turning kaleidoscope. There's just no end. Susan, another one of the things that um, you mentioned to me that I would love to just talk a little bit more about is this purpose that you have now that, that compels you, that, that propels you forward. And it is your deepest desire, you said to me, to quash all fear about God and to help. This is a quote of yours from one of our emails. Uh, it's your deepest desire to quash all fear about God and to help women embody self-love and to comfort and inspire other awakening women. Could you share a bit more about that as your purpose and what, why it's so integral to you at the moment to do this? Well, I have one of the methods that I share for identifying one of your many possible soul purposes. We all have so many. 
but one of one of my favorite methods is to is to go back and review review your life and pinpoint the emotion that that overtakes it all you know from your earliest memories to the present day what is the emotion that trumps everything and for me it was fear and it wasn't just fear of what i was seeing it was fear about being found out or what people would think of me it was it was fear about you know never you know just fear about everything honestly and a way to find one of your core purposes is to identify that emotion and then imagine it as an end of a spectrum and imagine yourself walking across that spectrum, passing the mid neutral point and walking to the opposite end. And based on your unique experiences, your unique life experiences, what emotion best represents the opposite. And for me, it's empowerment. And somebody else who has fear as, as their emotion could have a different opposite emotion because our experiences are also unique. But when I walk across that spectrum, I'm greeted by empowerment. And I know you can't transmit what's not within. So I first had to empower myself before being in a position of, of service to help empower others. But I do believe I've done that by this point. And again, I, you know, I've been on the spiritual path intentionally for 21 years now. So it's a summation of a long, a long time's work. But with women, with sensitive women, with empathic women, I, my, my heart, that's just my heart because there are so many misconceptions about being an empath. So many women are so hard on themselves, harder on themselves than anyone else in their life to the point where if, if somebody else talked to their children in the way that so many of us talk to ourselves, we, we, would, we would find it unacceptable. And it just seems to be such a widespread condition among sensitive women of feeling different than or apart from and in whatever way broken. And I deeply resonate with that. And the name of my book actually is called Phoenix Launch because that's kind of how I see it as a resurrection. And that that's in the core of my heart is wanting to help other women who have lost their way and lost, you know, kind of like their pilot light has been snuffed out to, to get them to a place of divine remembrance and sovereignty again. That just sits so beautifully in my heart to hear you say that. I know that I certainly resonate with so much of what you said there about the struggles of being a sensitive, empathic person, woman on this earth. And I know that so many of our listeners are, are nodding their heads quietly now too, knowing that that's them as well. And so I, um, I'm so grateful that you're doing this work and sharing so openly with us 
the difficult path you've walked to get to this point where you have looked at everything within yourself and empowered yourself so that you can then help others, Susan? Thank you. Yeah, no, it's literally, I feel like my honor and it helps me just keep going, you know, to have, to be in touch with, with that, you know, to, to finally, I mean, it's taken me decades upon decades, you know, to, to embody self-love that, that happened. Embodying self-love was the most recent happening. And it happened, I, I would say about a year ago. I mean, even after all that, I still knew I did not embody self-love. That was the last, the last leg of the journey was when that, you know, came upon me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for all of it. I don't know who I would be without all these experiences. Yes. And you actually mentioned to me that as we're going through these, these insights that you've gleaned over the years, another was to do with that and your experiences. And although initially when we remember what you told us about being little and being so afraid of the dark and afraid of the experiences and also sensing and knowing that you weren't accepted because of them. So from that, you've come to knowing that this lifelong ability of yours to see the spirit world, the angels, the beings, the ETs, the deceased uh, people, the deceased celebrities, all of it is truth. You understand it now, this ability of yours to connect, Susan. You told me you see as truth with a capital T. I thought that was very, very powerful. Could you share a little bit about that? I feel that we are embodied here, but I feel the real world is the realm of spirit. We're just barely scratching the surface with self-knowing. 99% of us is still anchored in spirit. And when you are back in spirit, your perception broadens impossibly. And to me, this might sound odd, but to me, that's the real world. That's God's turf. This is more like an educational stage play that we are very blessed to be a part of and to grow through. But I do consider the real world or the truth, the realm of spirit. That doesn't sound strange to me at all because it is something I have pondered as well, especially listening to NDE accounts and time and again, they'll, they'll say, the experiences will say, that world felt much more real. It felt like reality with a capital R. And coming, yeah. h- coming here is like the dream and being there is like awakening from the dream. And so, there's some part of me that understands that. It's, it turns everything on its head, doesn't it? It, it did. I, I was so afraid to address my conviction that each, each one of us are God that it took me months before I even ventured to pray about it, like the old school Catholicism sacrilegion came up for me. I was like, what if I'm wrong and I'm going to be struck down for hubris? It it took me several months to build up the courage to begin a conversation with God about the conviction I felt while merged, that, that, that I am God, temporarily embodied and temporarily unaware, just as you are just as everyone is, no matter, no matter what, no asterisks. 
that is also, I know for many people, kind of a, sh- a shocking way of, of looking at things. But my hope is if you're open-minded, it's actually deeply comforting. And I, I, also, I also wanted to tell you, I did a quick reading for you if you're if you're interested to hear it <laughs> of course and and i think you'll appreciate this before our last call i did the same reading and i wrote down the two cards i got and i couldn't remember what they were and i was like well it doesn't matter it, there is no time i'll just do it again and i want to just start by saying that out of 74 cards of the tarot, I pulled the exact same two cards for you. My goodness. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, And what I had done was asked to connect to your higher self. And I asked to be shown what your eighth chakra or soul star is currently resonating and they wanted your higher self wanted a two card reading which means it's here now and it wants to end up here and so based on our emails i thought this this really might resonate because currently i drew the card five of wands, which is known as strife in my deck. And the wands is like a masculine, yang, doing energy. And this card represents striving just to keep up, which leaves creative energies blocked. And it asks for taking things step-by-step to prevent overwhelm. And Wayne Dyer, he's the deceased spiritual teacher. He always likes to remind me of this quote. How, and it's, it's not his quote, but he always likes to say it. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So that's the card that represents the now and the ideal. I pulled the six of discs or otherwise known as success. And six is the number of perfect balance and harmony. And discs is the suit of earthly manifestation. It represents the outer results of an inner transformation. That the, the coins or the discs on this card are arranged in the shape of the tree of life which is literally the opposite of feeling stuck or overwhelmed. And in the middle of this depiction is this detailed, expansive rose, which serves as both a compass and symbolizes our infinite, eternal nature. And this is speaking to someone who knows themselves, lives in accordance to their truths, and uses their heart as their North Star. To me, these two cards for you 
represent going from a sense of constriction to capital T truth, to living truly authentically and enjoying success as the byproduct of that transformation. And this might feel counterintuitive, but this particular transformation requires less doing and actually more receiving to garner more inspiration. So I just wanted to share that with you. I, I, wanted, you. I wanted you to hear that. That is very meaningful to me at the moment. And I will, I'll come back and listen to this again. I'll take notes. It means so much to me that you did that. Thank you so much, Susan. I yes, really appreciate that. Now, we are coming to the end. I, I want to just circle back to one. If you could talk briefly about your spirit guides. You mentioned the beautiful Wayne Dyer there. Wayne Dyer is also somebody very important to me. So that was another layer of what you just shared, which really oh, touched really? me. Yeah, very, very important. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. <laughs> so I love that. Thank you. Now, I know that he has become one of your spirit guides, but he's not the only one, is he? No, I, I have many and, um, you know, sometimes I reach out to them and others just fall in. And I actually channeled, uh, these are two seemingly very different people, but both Mother Teresa and Whitney Houston both said nearly identically the same thing, that energetic birds of a feather flock together that like attracts like. And so no one need worry that they are lacking customized expert help. Because of the nature of energy, your perfect guides magnetize. You don't have to do anything. Do we have to express though that we are open to hearing from them or to, to being guided or to having this kind of friendship? Do we need to express that willingness? Yes, that, that's such a good question. You, you do need to, above all, they don't, they don't care about names, that's meaningless, but they do care as if they had flesh and skin that you develop relationships with them. And they will never act on anything unless asked due to the nature of free will. So it behooves you to form relationships so you can easier, uh, you can more easily know with whom you're dealing and why they are here to help so that you can put in requests for assistance that are targeted and specific and will yield specific results. That's great to know. Yes, I, I often wonder about that, about how we actually make those connections, you know, and as somebody who isn't the human Rolodex or I haven't had that experience, those moments of spiritual connection and experience seem far and few between for me. That's something I ponder. How, how perhaps do we, do we make yeah. these connections? How do we do it? Well, <laughs> a really good starting point is to go into meditation and you can never be disconnected from your higher self. It's impossible. However, you can feel as if, well, I don't, I don't know my higher self. I don't feel any connection. I, I wonder if anything's out there. Starting with your higher self, going into meditation and stating your intention 
to get to know your higher self, stating that as an intention, and then spending time using all your senses, just receiving. And depending on what extrasensory avenue might be strongest for you, you could end up feeling a sensation, seeing something, hearing something, just automatically knowing something. But I always guide people to begin this process of getting to know your spiritual team by starting with capital Y-U. Because that's your most foundational relationship. You can never be disconnected. That guidance and the many you know, beings within that higher self is always, always there and running 24 seven. If only you practice becoming aware of it. That's very helpful. Thank you. So we are always connected, but we perhaps can feel or think that we're not, but in fact we yes. are. That's profound and just such a, such an important reminder. You've shared with us so many wonderful practices today uh, and in our last um, conversation, Susan. I really want to thank you for that because there are practic- there's practical guidance that listeners can take away with them today. Now, how can our listeners get in touch with you and find out more about you and your work? Uh, sure. Well, you can go to susandyer.com and my website has kind of everything you'd need to know. But I would really encourage listeners, if you're open and willing, I would love you to subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Susan Dyer 1111. And that is what I call my spiritual library. I have so many videos up. It's all for free. I've got playlists on extrasensory abilities, spiritual growth. I have an entire playlist devoted to empaths. I have a playlist about my near-death experience. I have so much practical and practicable information out there, both metaphysical and spiritual, and it's all in there. It's all in that library on YouTube, and I would I would so appreciate anyone subscribing to that and joining the conversation there. I always reply to every comment and I love doing so. Thank you, Susan. What a wonderful free resource for everybody. That's just so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure you're going to get lots of new subscribers. So I hope so. <laughs> we are um, at the end of our conversation. I just want to just ask you, Susan, reflecting on what you have learnt in your near-death experience and other spiritually transformative experiences, is there any particular lesson or understanding that most resonates with you or, or you feel is most important to share? Something that perhaps you carry with you as if it's engraved on your heart. The fact that you who is listening, no matter, fill in the blank, that you are God. You said that at, 
exactly one hour and 11 seconds. So <laughs> just thought I'd add that in as I'm looking at the... Um... Oh, and over here for me, it's 444, <laughs> which is the, the number of the archangels. That's amazing. Oh, I love that. I love this so much. Me too. Susan. I love that. It never gets old. It never gets old. That's what I love. Nothing gives me a lift like conversations like this. And I really hope our audience is feeling the same. I'm just so excited and honoured to have spoken with you and I'm excited to keep Thank our you. conversation going. Please keep yes. in touch uh, and let me know when your book comes out. We'll get you back on the show. We'll talk some more. When is that looking to come out, do you think? Oh, no, I'm still looking for a literary agent. Okay. So There might I be one listening. Any... Yeah, there's <laughs> one listening. I'm available. I've got the manuscript ready to go. So I'm still in that process, but I will de like I will definitely be keeping in touch. You know that. I feel like we are officially pen pals. I love that. I love that. And it's been such a beautiful surprise byproduct of hosting this show that I have pen pals around the world that I bear my heart to. And it's just the most lovely gift. And I'm so thrilled. And you're one of them. Thank you so yeah. much, Susan, for joining us on Spirit Sisters. I hope you have a beautiful week and, yeah, we'll talk some more soon. Thank you and thank you to everyone listening. So grateful and I wish everybody a beautiful, beautiful life. Thank you, Karina. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode and don't forget to rate and review the show. Have an experience you'd like to share with me? Get in touch at my website, karinamachado.com. Or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.